Hey, welcome back to another episode of Parker's Pensies. This is a podcast where we explore thoughts in philosophy, theology, nature, and life. I love thinking about cool stuff, so come think with me. Today's episode is another special one. They're all special, but uh, this one's extra special because we're going to talk about the philosophy of Loki. And I have with me the two co-hosts of the Free Will Show, Matt Flummer and Taylor Sear. And uh, if you guys don't know, we did uh, an episode on the philosophy of WandaVision, so you can check that one out as well. Both of these dudes are uh, experts in philosophy, and they're currently still writing uh, papers in philosophy of uh, free will journals, but uh, they're also philosophy professors themselves, and they teach on philosophy. So they're like the perfect dudes to come on, talk about some Marvel crazy philosophy stuff, whether it works, whether it doesn't work, all that good stuff. So stay tuned. Uh, Before we jump in, I just want to thank the Patreon supporters. You guys are awesome. A bunch of you have joined lately, and that's super duper encouraging. Really appreciate you guys. Uh, if you have benefited from this show, please click the link in in, uh, in the description, the Patreon link, and you can find all sorts of goodies and prizes and stuff for you over there at my Patreon site if you want to support me that way. Uh, another way is to subscribe on YouTube and uh, go to Apple Podcasts and leave me a five-star review and a comment. That would be awesome. All right. Without further ado, let's pull these dudes in. Matt Taylor, guys, thanks so much for coming back on the on the podcast. Thanks for having us. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for having us. It's turning into like a, a Marvel fest here. So <laughs> every time Marvel comes out with another show, all three of us watch it, and we, I love it. I'm I'm super excited. Um, I was asking Matt before Taylor uh, came in what uh, his favorite Marvel show was. So maybe Taylor, we can start with you. Like out of the three, uh, Winter Soldier and Falcon. WandaVision and then Loki. Uh, what, what's your favorite so far? You know, I feel like Loki was uh, designed for someone like me who cares about free will and time travel and loves these kinds of classic science fiction stories. But I actually think I like WandaVision a little bit uh, more. Yeah, man. I'm sorry. Man, that's I think it's a better show. Yeah. We, we, I mean, I, so we, maybe we'll get into this a little bit, but Loki has a few things wrong with it that rubbed me the wrong way a little bit and uh i thought even you know this is sort of more of a like you know tv film criticism angle but i thought that it was kind of like hit or miss each episode whether the the quality of the episode was gonna be good so i didn't think it was as consistently good as wandavision okay okay matt how about you man I, I think I'm way less demanding as a viewer than Taylor is. <laughs> Some of us his have favorite, standards. His favorite, yeah. <laughs> his favorite movies are always so. Um, I feel what's the word? Um, I like I look up to Taylor's film criticism. You're trying to call me a snob. I didn't want to come out and call you a snob, but but I was going to try to call you a snob without calling you. A snob. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I, I like to just let it, let it overwhelm me, I guess, and go along with the ride. However, uh, idiotic or far out or philosophically (laughs) inconsistent. (laughs) So I thought Loki was fun. I I really enjoyed it. Um, is it your favorite of the three? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Me too, man. I, I, I love this one. Uh, 
I was I was saying earlier, like any kind of if you put purple and stars and the cosmic stuff in the show, like I love it. I'm just all about that. Guardians of the Galaxy, the first one, the the uh, Power Stone, like that just did yeah. it for me. I just love those colors. I don't know why. I'm with you on that. I like that about it. Stuff's so good. I don't yeah. know. Um, well, okay. So one thing that that I put out on Twitter after maybe the first episode or something was. It seems like Loki stole this idea from the Umbrella Academy, and then Taylor tweeted back and was like, "No, actually, it, they both stole it from the uh, the end of Eternity, the end of Eternity by Isaac Asimov." And I read half of it, and I'm looking forward to reading the rest. But you're totally right. So, Taylor, can you just explain like what what aspects both shows jacked from from Asimov? Yeah, I didn't watch all of Umbrella Academy. I did watch more than a full season. So okay. I, I think I have enough in, in the background, yeah. but the, the basic idea is like, there's this agency that's outside of the timeline or time that's somehow monitoring what's going on in the timeline and often intervening to make things better. Um, so yeah, in the end of eternity, it, it's in the distant future that this agency uh, eternity, they call it, um, is created. And so they don't have access to every point in time. I think it's like it's a couple centuries or more in the future from now that they're able to create this um, thing outside of time, eternity. And so from eternity, the Eternals, as they're called, um, are able to intervene in the timeline, but only after that certain point. And there's certain other restrictions in the Asimov story. But, yeah, I, I really like that novel. It's I like a lot of Asimov, but that's probably my favorite. And for philosophers, uh, it's actually cited in a very famous philosophy paper on time travel. Uh, David Lewis's The Paradoxes of Time Travel. Oh, yeah. Uh, so it's there, too. <laughs> I never even I didn't I wasn't familiar with this book when I read that uh, piece, but I'll have to go back yeah. and read that. Oh, that's it's awesome. one of the first couple of footnotes. Yeah, that's so good. Um, there's a there's a, a the Adjustment Bureau. Either of you guys ever seen that movie before? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's Matt, another one. It's it's uh it's similar yeah and it's based off Philip K Dick's uh, adjustment team short story and it's similar but I think in adjustment bureau that has like they're kind of like angels they're like supernatural beings it's not like is it does that seem right Taylor I think so it's been a while since I've seen that but that's yeah okay well, I love that kind of theme of like old timey folks from like the fifties but they're mm-hmm. super advanced it's it's so good I love that even the way yeah. they dress Owen Wilson all that stuff uh, it's it's so good yeah. Um, what did, before we get into like the philosophical stuff, some more on the on the characters and stuff. Do you guys have a favorite Loki? Probably the alligator. <laughs> you beat me to it. I was going to yeah. say that too. <laughs> I'm from Florida, so it felt like being at home. <laughs> Matt, you too. You, you like the alligator? Uh, well, yeah, I, I like I like the um, the original. I can't remember the actor's name. What's the actor's name that plays Loki in the in the films? Tom. Tom Riddle, Hiddleston, Riddleston. Yeah, yeah. I should know I, that. I, I, I like him. So, yeah, all he's the Loki's good. That were played by him. I liked. I think. Yeah, I like the old dude. He was really cool, and mm-hmm. he's he's kind of got like a fun social media presence now too, which is cool. Uh, yeah. I liked him, but I actually liked. I always liked the villains, and Julie always is like, uh, "What's wrong with you? There's something my, my wife." <laughs> to I was I always like Gaston growing up. I wanted to belt break a you know belt with my neck. So I liked, <laughs> I liked like the evil, the evil uh, Hiddleston. Hiddleston, I hope that's yeah. My my favorite is the uh, the Loki that betrayed the that was betrayed by all the other Lokis who was leading the mm-hmm. the uh, revolt. That dude's he got his arm bit off. Which <laughs> <Yeah. was> that, <laughs> but. that was like the classic Loki for me. I love yeah. that dude. 
I really one of my favorite Marvel movies even now is the original Avengers, where Loki is the main villain, and I really liked it because of Loki. So I've I've always have had a soft spot for that that actor playing Loki. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's good, man. I love that. Uh, did you? It doesn't seem like Sylvie's a Loki to me. I don't know. Does it seem like she's like a Loki to you guys? only a little bit because it feels like that's what they're trying to get us to feel as the Mm -hmm. audience, but not really. Yeah. 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 It's an interesting question of what makes a Loki a Loki. Mm -hmm. So if we thought about like some necessary conditions, what, what would those be in order for, for Sylvia to count like raised in Asgard? We saw that in the, in the show, but what else could we add to that to get a necessary condition for being a Loki? Yeah. Yeah. Like, was she also, um, she'd have to be like a frost giant uh, daughter yeah. or something, mm-hmm. right? Which is like, I know, Taylor, we were joking uh, before this, like, at some point you got to stop asking questions about, yeah. you know, <laughs> I think they call him Crokey or Crocky or something, the, the crocodile or alligator Loki. <laughs> I hadn't heard that. Okay. Yeah. Like yeah. what, how, how is that <laughs> alligator like a frost giant's son, you know? That's the point where you're you're right. You have to stop thinking about it because <laughs> it's not going to work. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, so to me, it's like okay. I, I think we've talked about this too. Like Alvin Plantinga has this argument where um, um, he he says, "Hey, I can imagine myself like waking up as a beetle," and so he's he's. I think he uses this in an argument for uh, dualism, uh, Cartesian, you know, substance dualism. That there's a substance that's him that can be, you know, transported or or trans something and put into a beetle and that's from a book that's from like a kafka book i think probably mm-hmm. um so for me it's like well i'm a dualist i guess i could see that like maybe they all have the same like soul um but then again if they have the same soul uh, i don't know maybe it's like a case of fission we talked about fission in the last one like <laughs> the soul is fissioned off and so crocodile loki alligator loki could have the same essence while different um accidental parts what do we make of that? Sounds Taylor, like- you had the, the biggest expression, so do you want to say something first? <laughs> well, I don't think I don't think it could be the same soul if mm-hmm. they have distinct souls. So that that I mean I, I guess a fission case is a way of trying to get around that, like they all have the same source or something like that. But even then now you have distinct souls. Um, so that can't be what's tying them together as Loki. It'd be like a Loki soul though right like, yeah like they right. have different experiences and stuff but like a loki essence that starts to sound like horcruxes <laughs> yeah i think you accidentally saw, said tom riddle earlier <laughs> oh i did probably <laughs> you were thinking of horcruxes already that's good man <laughs> um oh that's good matt you got any any fo- like yeah any follow-up on that yeah if your listeners are, are probably aware of the distinction between numerical and qualitative identity so if we're talking about like what makes Loki Loki, um, we're usually talking about numerical identity and there's like one thing that has that essence. And so when we start, when they're in the same room together, like Sylvie and Loki, then they're no longer numerically identical to each other. Right. Um, they might be qualitatively similar in some ways, like they're both human. Um, they're both tricksters, um, but it, it's hard to see how they could be the same soul. Yeah. And yeah, the, 
that's weird too because you'd think like other other um time travel shows say like don't ever touch uh yourself right because then Mm -hmm. all of reality but then in this show spoilers like they kiss themselves um which you don't feel weird about because sylvie is enough different but like is that weird for them to kiss like it's there's a difference between time traveling and kissing yourself and kissing a a counterpart of you from another dimension yeah 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 Okay, well, that this gets into like the essence too of what are the variants? Like, I I just that was a, a hard one for me that I just kind of let go and didn't think about. But I don't quite get the variants. Like, where are they coming from? Are they all popping off of the same timeline? <laughs> Taylor, what do you got? <laughs> you want me to guess? <laughs> I mean, I can guess. Well, what, I don't. I, I don't even it's... know what the writers were getting at. I'm not sure. Yeah, like, where... yeah. it does seem like in the visual uh, way of depicting the timeline and the like pruning of the timeline, it seems like, yeah, there are these branches off of some main timeline and then the variants are somehow brought from one of those branches into this um, agency, the TVA. But yeah, I guess there's different ways of interpreting all that. I don't know. Is, did they ever explicitly say whether the TVA was outside of time they're, they're outside the timeline. Right. That's what it has in common with the um, Asimov uh, yeah. novel, End of Eternity. But it is it, it has its own time, too. It's not yeah. <clears throat> like sometimes when people talk about God being outside of time, you might think, well, um, God has his own time or his own timeline or something like that. Usually people mean, oh, no, he's timeless. Mm-hmm. The TVA isn't timeless. Otherwise, you wouldn't be able to watch the show. Right. right. Yeah. Um so it's got its own time, but I think it's supposed to be separate from the main like hyper time. Yeah, Maybe. this is going to get messy fast. But right. like once you have <laughs> once you have the timeline itself changing or being pruned, you're already invoking hyper time or mm-hmm. second dimension of time for that very timeline, that single timeline. So anyway, yeah, we did that earlier interview, Parker, on um, time travel and got into hyper time a little bit. But yeah, the, the, it allows for. I mean as a writer, if you're okay with a second dimension of time, right, you can tell wildly inconsistent stories because as long as they're happening in different, you know, parts of the um, hypertemporal plane, you don't really get a contradiction. Whereas if you're trying to tell a consistent single timeline story, you have to be a lot more careful. So that, that's, this is one of my beefs with uh, recent Marvel uh, is that the writers make it seem like, oh no, we're talking about a single timeline here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then they'll, you know, let, nebula kill her younger self or something like that end game mm-hmm. spoiler um <laughs> they'll do stuff like that that you can't you can't have in a single timeline yeah yeah i we've, we've talked about that before too and you you said you don't think end game is a consistent story and i think you're probably right unless there was already multi, like a multiverse going on because then you could have a a close possible world or a close actual world of nebula killing another nebula that's super similar but that would ruin the whole story because then it's not the same consciousness sharing the same like 2014 where Nebula's memories are project. Like that would ruin the whole story. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, Yeah. I'm trying to think still like if I can figure out the variance thing, like does, is it just that in this one timeline at some point Sylvie was born and um, he who remains was like, you know what? If Sylvie remains, a girl, then it's going to ruin the whole timeline. So I'm going to pluck her out and reset it. And now it's Loki, the the boy Loki. Is that what he's doing? 
uh, not an expert, but that's that seems right to me. Okay, that's how we're supposed to interpret it. And yeah, and the time. This one's weird too, because like the the metaphysical time or like hyper time above. Like she seems like she's the same age as him, but she'd probably be. I don't know. Would she be older? Would she not have aged as much? How do they? How they end up at the same age? She's been traveling through time this whole time experiencing like the hyper time or whatever. And so she's aged normally. I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's, and how is there an old Loki? I don't. Yeah. Yeah. There maybe the idea is, um, when, you know, the TVA comes and pulls a variant out of their, you know, soon to be pruned branch of the timeline, um, that the age that they're at, um, that's what you see in the, in the TVA. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, if they're going to do this again with the, you know, a variant of the very same person and they do it at a, you know, different stage of that person's life, they'll be pulled into the TVA, maybe around the same time at the TVA, but at a different stage of life. So you could have okay. different ages. Okay. I think that part's coherent. Okay. Someone else, someone else said, so, um, he who remains said, I've lived like a million lifetimes or whatever. And I was just watching this YouTube video, uh, this theory. There's so many fan theories, and, and they never come true, which is really sad. But because some of these are really good, they're really creative. But they're saying it's like a it's like a time loop, and it looked like it was a loop, right? Like it's it, was it just a straight line? I, I can't remember, or if it was like looped around his castle. Do you guys remember? Oh yeah, the visual of the timeline around his castle. I, I can't remember if they showed a the complete all the way around. Yeah. So they were saying maybe maybe uh, he who remains doesn't have as much free will as as they purported because maybe this has already happened a, a bunch of different times or something. I don't know. We'll see. I guess. But um, that kind of gets us into the into the free will stuff. And you guys host the free will show, so you guys are the top experts uh, to be talking about this. this is a huge huge deal. Um, uh, I don't know if just, we're the top experts. No, no, no. You gotta go. <laughs> uniquely qualified. Um, what? Were Sylvie and Loki free? Like at the end of the show, spoilers again, um, he who remains, he said, I set this all up for you. Um, just, I, I was wondering if this would get at uh, different, your guys' different theories of free will and stuff. But what do we think? Uh, Matt, you first, man. W- were they free in their choices? Yeah, so I guess if we if we set it up, we'll have different answers in different places of the movie. Cause it seemed like, or the, the show at one point, he who remains had like the notebook of everything that they are going to do before they do it. And he's able to like dodge their attacks because he knows what they're going to do before they do it. But then at a, a later point, he's like, I don't know what's going to happen next. And he's all happy about it. Yeah. So you could ask, well, do they have free will at before that point? Um, when he who remains knows everything they're going to do before they do it. And then afterwards, who knows, like what are, what's going to happen? Um, yeah. So it's, it's like three things maybe there. It's like the, there's like freedom foreknowledge stuff. So, mm-hmm. um, he who remains has this foreknowledge. And so that's a question. Like if someone has foreknowledge of what you're going to do, are you free mm-hmm. to do that? Uh, and then there's also the, uh, Sylvie kept on saying another manipulation. She's all upset about mm-hmm. being manipulated. And that, and that's another one. It seems like not only did he have the foreknowledge, but he actively was making a corridor for them to walk down. Yeah. Um, in in if you parse those differently, like are they free in the foreknowledge case? Are they free in the uh, maze case? I guess. Yeah, um, it it doesn't seem to me like the the 
just knowing what somebody is going to do before they do it takes away freedom. Um, there, this is an old argument. Taylor and I were talking about this before. Um, you can imagine the, the, the way the argument goes. Uh, suppose you found a book similar to he who remains, what he, what he who remains, I can't talk, what he who remains has, mm -hmm. um, that has everything you ever do. And so you're trying to prove it wrong and you see, oh, I'm supposed to take a bus tomorrow. And you open, you decide, well, I'm not going to take a bus tomorrow. And then something happens and you end up on the bus anyway. Um, some people take that to, to say that, well, you can't do otherwise. Um, and so if you're taking free will to be the ability to do otherwise, then knowing what you're going to do before you do it seems like it takes away that. So you're not free. Uh, another sense, free will is like some kind of uh, sourcehood condition where you're the proper source of your actions. So even if you don't have the ability to do otherwise, you're the proper source of your actions. Um, and that, in those cases, or in a case like that, um, the book that has all the actions you ever perform doesn't take away free will. Mm. Um, so, are you gonna draw draw a line in the sand yet? Are you gonna plant your flag? Uh, well, I I <laughs> don't make me pick a position. <laughs> I, I, I'm on the free will, team free will. That's that's as far as I've gotten. Um, but I I don't have like a a really good argument for this, but I just have the intuition that just knowing what I'm going to do is not going to take away my free will. And some people try to, uh, there's really interesting arguments about dependence. Um, Taylor and I have a friend that has written on this where the, if the foreknowledge depends on what I do, um, then it doesn't take away my free will. And maybe you still have the ability to do otherwise. Cause if you would have done otherwise, then the, whoever has the foreknowledge would have known otherwise. I think that that dependence is really helpful. Actually, uh, Joe Schmidt was talking about that on Capturing Christianity the other day, where if, if something happens because God knows it, because um, it's always comes up in the conversation of, of God, then that's a different dependence relationship than God uh, God's knowledge depending on the thing happening. And so the mm -hmm. dependence relation, whichever way you draw, is important. So you're saying, yeah, if, if it was actually the the outcome, which, which uh, the dependence, then foreknowledge depended on the facts, then it wouldn't be a big deal. But if somehow the facts depend on the foreknowledge, then that, that might be a bigger problem. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Taylor, what do you think, man? Yeah, I guess I'm sympathetic to all that. I, I don't think that um, that mere foreknowledge is a threat to freedom. I do think it's, uh, it's different if it's God than if it's even he who remains. Certainly it's mm -hmm. different from human foreknowledge because only of those beings, maybe I don't know enough about he who remains, but I, I take it he's not essentially omniscient. He goes on to not know stuff, right. uh, whereas God, he can't, he can't be wrong about anything. He can't fail to have um, total foreknowledge. So I, I, I tend to be skeptical that that dependence solution can really reconcile um, divine foreknowledge with human freedom. But otherwise, I think that that's all right. I mean, in the first couple of episodes of Loki, I it started to look like um, a, a global Frankfurt style case. And uh, yeah, we have an episode on Frankfurt cases on our podcast, the free will show, I, but I can't help but talk about Frankfurt cases <laughs> um, in, in this kind of case, like an agent they're structured so that an agent does something for their own reasons on their own. And they really seem to be doing it freely. They seem to be morally responsible for it, but because of the design, because of the setup of the case, they couldn't have avoided deciding and doing as they 
in fact did. So maybe there's a, a nefarious neuroscientist who's implanted a device in the agent's brain and they're monitoring their deliberative processes. And if there's any sign that they're going to decide otherwise, this neuroscientist will intervene and force them to decide in the way they'll actually decide. But that intervener, potential intervener is only a counterfactual intervener. They don't actually intervene uh, to do anything. And so it looks like the person's free and responsible. Many of us think Um, there's a whole debate about Frankfurt cases, but because of the way that, um, you know, the description of the TVA early on in Loki goes, it looks like they're making sure that everyone in the timeline acts in accordance with the plan of the timekeepers. And if there's any variance, they'll come in and reset things. So it looks like a kind of global Frankfurt case. But one thing that's very different and which makes it not actually a helpful Frankfurt case is the people in the timeline are very are obviously free to do otherwise than as planned. It's just what will happen is then there will be real intervention that goes and rewrites things or takes out the variant or, or what have you. Um, so there isn't really it, it isn't really a pure Frankfurt case where their alternative possibilities have been removed. Yeah, that's a that's a really good point. So if um so man if there's a loki that didn't get pruned man i guess do all of them get pruned if a, if there's a loki who didn't get pruned it means he didn't go outside the predetermined path mm-hmm. um he he could have done otherwise but he would have got pruned mm-hmm. but he didn't and so they're actually all his choices he couldn't have done otherwise because he would have got pruned and yet he did all, if he makes it to the end of his life and he dies, he wasn't free to do other than the choices that he did choose. And yet he still did them freely. Isn't that still a, a Frankfurt case? Well, at, at any point, um, if he acted contrary to the sort of global plan, then someone would have come as a result of him do, doing otherwise, then that would have triggered the the intervention. So yeah, like, Frankfurt- the, like the chip in the brain, but you well, pull the lever and he never... He never acted outside of the plan. If he would have, he would have got pruned. But yeah, it's yeah. The chip in the brain is supposed to make it so that the counterfactual intervener could intervene before the decision or the action Mm -hmm. um, would occur. This is what makes Frankfurt cases very tricky, and some people are skeptical that can they can succeed. That's why they call them counterfactual interveners, because in in the actual timeline or whatever, the the intervener never intervenes. And so that's why it's such a an interesting case. Well, but so in Loki, the, yeah. the interveners are are intervening when they pull you from the timeline and bring. But for for a Loki who made it all the way through without being without any intervention, right. I think it's still the same case, right? It's still there's still a counterfactual mm-hmm. that if you were to go outside, you would be uh, pruned. But this one never made it, never got pruned because he made it all the way on his own choices. Well, yeah, I think you're right, Parker, that that's that you're right. In that case, the TVA would still function as a counterfactual intervener. Okay. But it's where the intervention would be located that I'm is what I'm trying to call attention to. So it's not the case that the TVA is like standing by ready to make sure that Loki makes the right decision if there's ah. any sign that he's going to decide otherwise okay. than they want him to. Instead, they're going to wait and see what he does. If he makes the wrong choice, which he's totally free to make, yeah. then they'll intervene. Mm-hmm. That's good. That's good. Okay. Um Okay, so he, um, so, okay, we got the freedom for knowledge. Do you agree with that? How about how about the? It's kind of like manipulation, right? Like if if he remains, they didn't really show how he is doing this, I guess, but they said like it's all been paved for you. Like it seems like even the bad, uh, uh, making Eliath 
uh, like what would they put a spell on him? I forgot what the, the terminology is, but they spellified him and he opened up and then he got through. It seemed like he manipulated that whole thing. Um, but they were still free. Um, they, they couldn't have done otherwise, I, I think probably. Right. So like as a compatibilist, I'm saying they were still free, but if you have a, a libertarian, if you, if you're, if you hold a PAP principle of alternate possibilities, do you think that they would still be free on that theory of free will? Yeah. If you think about, they don't really give you a whole lot of details about what the manipulation consists of. And you mentioned that um, if, if all we have to go on is what we see, um, then it seems like the manipulation is, is some kind of circumstantial manipulation where he who remains manipulates their circumstances so that they end up following a certain path. Um, it's possible that he's also manipulating them in, at different levels, but we, we, we don't know that for sure. And so uh, uh, I want to say that the details of the manipulation are going to matter a lot for both compatibilists and incompatibilists. So whatever your necessary and sufficient conditions are for being able to make a free decision, if the manipulation affects that, then even as a compatibilist, you're going to have to say, well, you know, maybe they're not reasons responsive or whatever in that case. So they're not free. Yeah. But it's hard to say, like, just from what we've been given in the show. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, one of my Facebook friends, like hardcore uh, Molinist, and he's he's looking at he he watched the show and he's like, do you see the Molinism? Do you see the Molinism? I, (laughs) I didn't watch any of his stuff. Um, what do you guys make of that? Like, is there, does this, uh, did, did one theory, uh, like of God's, um, uh, divine determinism or, or, uh, God's sovereignty and, and human free will stand out to you guys? Did this seem more Arminian or Calvinist or, or Molinist to you guys? Are we supposed to be taking he who remains to be like in the place of God in this kind of I, scenario? I guess. Or yeah. the TVA. Well, I guess he who remains, and by extension, the TVA, because because he yeah. was using them as his instruments, right? Yeah. Well, it doesn't seem like they have. <laughs> they're definitely not determining things, and I don't even see what grounds you could have for thinking that they would have, you know, access to something like middle knowledge. So I I don't quite see how you could get the the Molinist framework parallels off the ground. Because they, because they're always coming after the fact and resetting, right? They don't come beforehand and preempt stuff. So it's not like they're all looking on the timeline and saying, "Okay, here's where we need to inter- intervene." They're always coming afterwards and saying, "Oh shoot, that's going to mess something up, so we need to take this out," right? So it seems like they don't. Yeah, they don't have middle knowledge. Yeah, it, it's again, it's hard to say based on what we've been given in the show. Because to have middle knowledge, you need to have knowledge of every single situation that a person might be in, right? So, you know, that if that person is in circumstances C, um, C1 and C2 and C3, like on into infinity or whatever, and you know exactly what the person's going to do in every single circumstance, isn't that what's what what is required for uh, Molinism to be true? And he remains didn't give we didn't get any evidence that he knows all those things. We just got the evidence that he knows in in this particular circumstance when he shows the book. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I guess, I mean, you'd, you'd say this, knowing you. Uh, it depends on how he got that information, too, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Did, did you guys get the sense that he who remains can look into the timeline? Or did we just, it was a printout that told him the future. Does, is he actively looking through the, the windows, you think, and seeing what's happening? 
Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> For those listening to the podcast, we're just shrugging. We're just shrugging. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, so I got another free will one for you. So, um, so Mobius Owen Wilson, he's all upset with I forgot her name. It's not Ramona. It's something like that. It might be Ramona. It's something like that. The uh, the the lady in charge, the judge, and he's like, uh, you can't take people's free will. Like dang it stop doing that and she's like only one person gets free will and she's talking about he who remains who's at the top who she doesn't know but um she knows there's someone up there who has free will um is is the tva taking people's free will what do you guys think i think there's a sense in which they are limiting people's freedoms they're locking people up (laughs) but like the sense of free will that that matt and i tend to focus on like stuff that's more internal like whether your decisions are free even some of your overt actions um yeah they might have a certain plan for someone to make a decision and perform a certain action they might intervene to you know take them to the tva if they don't do what they're supposed to do but they haven't they haven't done anything early enough in that sort of sequence to get rid of free will so it seems Mm -hmm. to me yeah i agree i think if what they're doing takes away free will than what we do when we lock criminals also yeah, takes away free will. So in a sense, it's true. Like we are limiting people's freedom to move about where they please when we lock them up. Um, and I think something similar is going on when you prune or when you take a variant away and lock them up in um, some other alternate universe or whatever, however they do it. Yeah. Okay, and that that would be a difference between that and like the adjustment bureau, where in the adjustment bureau uh, they will pause time and they'll use like the, a a machine on your brain to kind of like change your intuitions and stuff, so you act differently. And I think that would be definitely infringing on someone's free will. Whereas this, yeah, I think the police analogy is really good. They're just timeline policemen, and they come and they arrest you, and they even say it's for a crime. You you committed a crime against the sacred timeline. So yeah, even on a compatibilist or libertarian sense of free will, they're not taking away your free will, even though they're taking away your freedom, right? It means yeah. different senses of the, the word. Okay. So, so then she says only one person gets free will. And I was curious about this um, uh, as it has ramifications for uh, Christianity. And again, I, I follow a lot of meme pages and I saw uh, a Calvinist <laughs> meme page say, Amen. You know, at least they got something right. And I was like, wait a second. That's not what we believe. Um, do you guys think, so if you were a Calvinist, uh, would it make sense to say only God has free, like does God have libertarian free will, even if uh, all his creatures have um, compatibilist notion of free will? Like, well, what, what's God's relation to free will, I guess? Yeah, I think most uh, the most Calvinists or you know people in the Reformed tradition do want to give a different kind of freedom to God than to creatures that are um, determined by God's decrees. I don't know if libertarian freedom is required, but maybe. maybe I think that's one way of modeling it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and that I guess that would mark a difference. It's like okay, only God has free will in a certain sense. Maybe it's like he's not determined by any antecedent conditions to do mm-hmm. what he does. Whereas the rest of us are determined. Now I think Calvinists should say that human beings have free will, especially if they're understanding free will as whatever's required for us to be morally responsible for what we do. Cause they also tend to think that we're culpable for a lot of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> right. So they should say we have free will, but maybe they mean we don't have libertarian free will, or maybe they mean 
we couldn't have done otherwise, all of which is consistent with, you know, some understandings of our having free will. Yeah. Matt, any thoughts on that? Yeah, this, this is a long debate and there's way too much to read. Um, some people think that if, if God, um, always has to do the right thing and there's always one right thing to do, then God is never going to do otherwise than that one thing. And so in a sense, it's kind of like he's determined. Um, but it's not by, like Taylor said, it's not by something outside of himself. So it's not like the normal way determinism is defined in the free will literature is the past plus the laws of nature, um, you know, determine a single unique future, including everything that you're going to do. So it's something outside of you that's determining you. But in the case of God, there's nothing outside of him that could, in principle, determine him. So he can't be determined in the same way that human beings or created things are determined. Mm-hmm. So I don't even know if the, like, the categories of, of compatibilist and libertarian fit when it comes to God. Um, what, what about like sourcehood? Um, like God is, his actions are determined by his nature. Yeah. Yeah, you could, he could def- he's definitely the proper source of his action, no matter which view you're looking at, whether it's like a sourcehood libertarian or sourcehood compatibilist. Um, back, some people argue that maybe there isn't a single right thing to do because the, you know, the perfect being is going to do the, the right thing in every situation. So there could be a range of things that are equally good. And in that sense, God does have these alternatives to pick from. So he could have libertarian free will in that sense. Yeah. And then the the question is then, uh, why would he pick one over the other? Yeah. Uh, Peter Van Inwingen has a really interesting take on the problem of evil. Um, And uh, if I remember correctly, there are a range of possible worlds that God could have um, chosen to actualize when it comes to how much evil is in the world. Um, And it's, it's vague where the boundary is between whether God should actualize this world or that world. So it's just kind of like arbitrary. Like he just by his decree, like this is it. Um, and he's not there. There's nothing wrong with um, him determining this amount of evil versus that amount of evil. Mm. Yeah. T- Taylor, you're aware of um, Van Wagen's point there? Yeah. Actually, Matt and I, we probably read that book together for a graduate mm-hmm. seminar like 10 years ago. Yeah. That's why I'm <laughs> like, if I remember correctly. <laughs> it's been a while. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I, even if you don't like Van and Wagen's vagueness approach, there, yeah. there are lots of people who think there's no such thing as a best possible world. Right. So sure. like, yeah, I mean, if you're thinking there is a best possible world, God's going to bring about what's best. You're pretty close to Leibniz and thinking this must be the best possible world God could have made. But right. a lot of people don't like that. And also, you know, even among um, Calvinists, like we want it to be the case that God didn't have to create, like creation isn't necessary. And you've talked about like modal collapse arguments on here before. So Mm -hmm. I think that's a really, really important, interesting debate that there's not a whole ton of work on in the kind of meeting that with the contemporary free will literature. Although one of your former guests, and you've cited his book a bunch on this podcast, um, Guillaume Bignon, in his book on excusing sinners and blaming God, has a really nice discussion of um, God's freedom and PAP. Um, But yeah, I think there's a lot of room, there's a lot of work to be done on all that stuff. Yeah, I I think you're right, dude. And and oftentimes when I go there with people or in their books, usually it's well this is a mystery and it's like well yeah, yeah i know that but i you, you, you may have punched it too early like you we might be able to get a little bit further right because like we don't want to say i don't want to say god's arbitrary and i know that people will say that 
And like if Phantom Wagon said God's arbitrary, I'd be like, okay, yeah, maybe, maybe he is. But like if, if another like student says God's arbitrary, like, wait, what do you mean? I'm gonna hammer them and try to hammer them. Um, but yeah, God, why did why would God choose this or that? It's so interesting. I uh, you guys gotta you guys gotta work something out here and then come back and tell me about it. So not this yeah, skip tonight. If if there is like if if there is no significant difference between world A and world B, um how else is going is he going to choose like there's no reason to choose one or the other yeah. so it uh, robert can has talked about this too like we shouldn't worry too much about arbitrariness because the the latin root is just to make a judgment yeah. so god makes a judgment call and i'm just going to take that one taylor yeah, shaking his head over there <laughs> the root fallacy or whatever and i'm like losing their minds right now <laughs> I, I, I want to go with the uh, surprise, surprise, authorial analogy and say, well, this it's not just about best possible worlds, but about the story he wants to tell. He wants mm-hmm. to tell this story and not a different story. And so it's not I don't know that God is is as much of a, a computer, uh, supercomputer that the Molinists want to make him out to be, but rather a storyteller um, like Jared C. Wilson wants to say, you know, storytelling God that. He said, this is the story that I want to tell. And so I'm going to pick that one. Why did he want to tell that story? Because uh, it most glorifies Christ. Okay, well, then if that's the one it most glorifies, that's the one. And then you might have mortal collapse too. And so mm-hmm. the whole thing's a mess, man. Yeah, maybe there are equally good stories that God could tell. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm inclined to think um, even still God doesn't have to tell that kind of story. Like, mm-hmm it's really good that he did and it's, you know, gets more glory from it, that sort of thing. But, you know, to avoid saying that creation is necessary, I think we have to say God could have not created at all, in which case he wouldn't have told this kind of story and that's totally fine. But yeah, that I, I don't want to punt to mystery yet either, but I also recognize there's a lot of work to be done to figure all that out. Right. Well, I'm excited for when you guys finally figure that out for me. Um, don't hold me to it yeah well i wanted to i wanted to talk a little bit about time travel and stuff too so um is there a theory of time that best fits uh the depiction of time in loki that's a good question i don't what do you think man is it just straight b theory or it's easier to think of the story in sort of b theoretic terms or you know or about which times exist from the sort of eternalist perspective, because like the, the way we imagine the timeline, it's like all there for the TVA people to see seems like that fits well with this view that all those times are equally real. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I tend to think that time travel stories can't, you can think of them in um, presentist or other, you know, terms um, I don't, there are some because people you carry that carry the present with you, right? Isn't that what, well, I think you can translate all this stuff about all the times being equally real into facts about the different times, which, uh, don't depend on like, uh, the reality of each time at different times. Anyway, yeah. th- so I think present presentism and time travel are consistent with each other. And even probably this, it's going to be more complicated, but probably you can reconcile even this story with, with presentism. Interesting, man. Okay. But just because you can reconcile it doesn't mean it fits best, right? So like do you right. What, what, so what do you what do you think? 
Well, I, I guess I'm because I'm an eternalist and because it's really easy to think of the story in those ways, I just let my mind go there. But yeah, I mean, it's not like the story really presupposes a view of time. At least I don't think. Okay. Matt, what do you think? Um, yeah, I, I agree with what Taylor said. I think the, the picture that I always thought of when I thought of B theory of time or eternalism was the view, like when you see the timeline out apart from you, you see the whole thing, the beginning and the end. But at a certain point, I, I mentioned this before, when he who remains says, I don't know what's going to happen next. Like it, maybe it switches and they don't even realize they've switched theories of time. We've gone from a B theory time to presentism because like he doesn't know what's going to happen in the future because he maybe he hasn't seen the timeline or something like that. So I don't I don't know like which fits better. Yeah, I'll also say this this isn't so much about like the ontology of time, but more about hypertime, which we mentioned earlier. So hypertime is like this alleged second dimension of time, which some people theorize about. So anytime you have um, like an event occurring at a particular time in a timeline, and then also not occurring at that time, maybe because of some time traveler's intervention, right? The only way to coherently model that is to have two different timelines or the, you know, that same time, a second time over, which involves this sort of higher up (laughs) timeline. Um, If the uh, he who remains character is looking at the whole timeline, he's seeing variant behavior that needs to go in and be kind of corrected, right? Well, you have to imagine multiple timelines. So I do think it is committed to um, that view of time, that time is not linear, it's uh, two-dimensional. Okay. Well, I mean, is there a name for that one? What's that called? I mean, hypertime is the way of referring to the two-dimensional time stuff. So it's like a hyper... Well, so you could have hypertime where there's a B-theory of regular time, and then maybe you have like a presentism for yourself. There's only one moment in the hyper time that you can experience, right? Yeah. Yeah. There's not really much work. I can only think of one paper so far that's really exploring the sort of ontology of time question for hyper time. Okay. Because yeah, just like you could have a presentist view of time or an eternalist view of time, you could say things. <laughs> Sorry. You could, there you go. Uh, we we got to figure out whether or not we can have popsicles. Oh, nice. <laughs> have you I hope lunch? so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, after you have your popsicle. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. So I, th- I think you could have these different ontologies of time, even for hyper time. So you could think only one timeline is real, like at a time, or you could think they're all equally real. That would be like hyper temporal eternalism. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dude, but, we're uncovering a lot of different papers here that, that need to be written. This is good. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully lots of young philosophers or uh, budding philosophers are listening to your podcast. Yeah, that's right. Well, so I was thinking maybe like growing block. Mm-hmm. Um, it, but, but then I didn't really think about how it's kind of B theory, maybe growing block. Uh, or it could be presentism too, because he doesn't know the future. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But okay, so here's another thing about the about the timeline itself. So it seems like um, the timeline, the kind of the theory of, of time and space at play is like Sean Carroll's Many Worlds. You guys familiar with that one at all? A little bit. Very tiny bit. Yeah, a little. Yeah, I mean, me too, just a little time. So um, maybe he'll listen to this and come on the podcast and correct me. That'd be fantastic. <laughs> but it's like, yeah, anytime, anytime you want to make a choice, well, it's about, you know, quantum entanglement and that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. But it's there's like an app you can download and... You can put in a choice and then someone 
shoots a particle out of a particle accelerator or something and and they tell you like which which choice you should make in 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 a in a split universe because that choice like splits off the universes you made a different choice and it doesn't really help with anything it's just kind of interesting if you hold that view which is like all these multiple universes keep sloughing off at certain points in ours um it seems like what's going on here every time someone makes a choice that would alter the one timeline another one is born does that sound right well i want to go back to the the particle accelerator is this just like a really expensive and complicated way of flipping a coin i think so (laughs) i'm pretty sure i think sean carroll might have even said it like that okay yeah and I don't know if they're already they're already scheduling that, so they'll just like toss in your thing next time they they do it. I don't think either, every time they get a text, they're shooting it <laughs> off or anything. Yeah. So I'm sure That's like awesome. they they combine a bunch of texts at once because surely they don't shoot off that many particles in a particle particle accelerator. Right. I don't think the app costs that much money. Yeah, yeah. is the idea yeah. that the particle accelerator will will guarantee indeterminacy, whereas maybe a coin flip. Is, it, it approximates, you know, 50-50 chance. I think it's just a cool way of doing a coin flip, honestly. Okay. Because I think, <laughs> I think it's a way to think about if you're a many worlds uh, theorist or if you hold to that, then you think uh, me in the other universe that just split, he'll make that choice. And I'll make I'll choose A and he'll choose B. And so mm-hmm. it's kind of a way of like hedging your bets. But then again, that, you that's can why I mentioned like them. with the flipping of the coin, like it might be that in just these circumstances with my flicking of my thumb at exactly this speed it's going to be heads in both oh, of sure. yeah so that we sure. don't get splitting yeah 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 trying that to make be... sense of why they're using a particle accelerator for this app yeah and i could be getting the accelerator wrong but it's it's like the um maybe it's every time they're looking at an electron or whatever right because that's that's what the whole yeah. theory is about like mm-hmm. when you observe the electron it acts differently and so if you didn't observe it things would the universe would have been different and it's him saying I, i'm taking the quantum mechanics seriously and it's like, yeah, but you're prioritizing that to come up with this insane theory um, instead of prioritizing sanity and saying, hey, we're not sure what's going on down here at the micro level. But mm-hmm. again, Sean, please come on, Dr. Carroll. That'd be <laughs> I, I know that he has, he, Taylor, did you listen to that episode I sent you? Yeah, about time travel that he did? No, I haven't yet. So he, he goes in, dang it, dude. Now everyone knows that you don't listen to myself. Uh <laughs> He, too busy catching up on your podcast. Yeah, probably. that's too great. Many that's episodes. A fantastic answer. Um, <laughs> he, he goes over like, uh, I guess he consults with Marvel a lot. And he has this whole theory about like the, the job of the consultant is not to just dump on all the writers and be like, you guys are idiots, but to say, all right, let's see how we can make this work. And he, he was on um, Endgame. He, he consulted on that. And I wonder if he's consulting on this or if someone listened to his stuff, because it seems like every time someone's making this decision – like it's branching, and so yeah. I think I think he remains even said there's an in, there'll be an infinite number of me's. Maybe he was just speaking, you know, out of out of school or whatever. But mm-hmm. do, you, do you guys think there's going to be an infinite number of of hymns? Yeah, I think I think that's a coherent way to tell the story. Actually, my favorite sci-fi story that's got that kind of structure is this novel called Dark Matter by uh, Blake Crouch, and it uh, it it's like. So normally when you think of like multiverse, you think of the universes as causally isolated from each other. So they don't interact with each other other like after the branching point. Mm -hmm. But 
suspend that, you know, part of the view for a second and imagine that you could somehow travel from one of the universes to the other, you could basically meet your variants and there could be maybe an infinite number of these worlds where you've made different decisions and maybe you'd interact with someone who made a different choice, like back in high school and now they have a very different life. It's fun for thinking through like what might have been. Yeah. It's like man in the high castle too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A yeah. little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So that, that would be a coherent thing. I, I wonder too, I don't know a ton about um, multiverse type stuff, but I always wonder what the connection, this kind of goes back to the different Loki's like, what would the connection be across, across universes? Like why would I, why would I exist in other ones as well? Is it just cause all the, the conditions and the laws, set it up so that there would be ones like me or, or what's the, what's the causal. There is no causal connection between the two. I think maybe there's a theory where there's one and they all branched off of that. But what do you guys think about that? Well, if you think about what makes you, you we're, we're talking about like the essential versus accidental properties, right? Mm-hmm. So you have to figure out what the essential properties that make you, you are, and then all the different ones just vary on the accidental properties. Is that, am I, am I following what you're trying to say? Yeah, I think so. But isn't like, okay. Is it an accidental property of me that my, that I have the parents that I have? I don't know. (laughs) So I've, some people say yes, that you have to have the right origin um, to make you. you. Taylor, what do you think about, is that, do you you think that's true too? I don't know. I guess, your your Planaga argument from earlier about like a soul, you know, inhabiting something else. Um, it's kind of still seems like it could still be you. That that makes me think, well, maybe there's some sense in which I've got this metaphysical essence, the soul that could have, you know, a different body with a different origin. I'm not yeah. sure. But the, sure. the essentiality of origins thesis is pretty popular. Like mm-hmm. it's it's it seems like, you know, if you know the timing of you know, my conception was just a little different, would have been a different sperm egg combination. That would have been a sibling, a potential sibling of mine, not me. So that's, I think that's pretty plausible too. So I don't know what to say about that. Yeah. If if planning his argument works and I can imagine myself being a, is is mommy already gone? Oh, um, I, I have to go. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, sorry. Hey, thanks for jumping on, man. This is awesome. Yeah. Um, my wife had to go to an appointment. I thought we'd be done, be done by now, and there's a repair guy at the door. No worries, man. Jump off. We're going to talk smack on you when you're gone. Okay. <laughs> Feel free. Talk to you later. Yeah, man. <laughs> so, so, Taylor, there's um, like uh, traducianism. Do you, you familiar with that term? Like the you, you inherit your soul uh, from your parents, like yeah. biologically kind of thing? Right. I kind of like that. Okay. And I think some people call it a heresy. I'm not, I don't <laughs> think it's a heresy, but it's, it's yeah. like, I think you might like it. Cause I think you're kind of, I think you kind of lean more towards like a materialist view of the person or you want, oh. you, you want to hold it in just in case. Is that right? <laughs> no, I, I'm not very much. I, okay. I mean, I guess I used to be a little bit more sympathetic to the materialist view, but I've never really been a materialist. And, uh, yeah, I'm not into heresies, so <laughs> I think I'll try to avoid it. <laughs> I don't think I'm a substance dualist. I think I'm something. I'm somewhere in between a substance dualist, like emergence or emergence, or like a form of hylomorphic dualism. Uh, yeah, oh, 
come on. That's <laughs> it's, it's all the Aristotle in you. Yes. Um, right. Okay. Okay. I'm, um, I'm very. The more that I read Aristotle, the more Aristotelian I realize I am. I don't know how. I I'm still not clear. I just need to read more on hylomorphism or hylomorphism. That everyone's always spelling it differently, but like the form. The form seems like it's doing the work of the soul, mm-hmm. but then it's not yours, right? So, like, it's the f- you and I both have a form of a man, of a man, right? So, like, the immaterial aspect for a substance dualist is what's doing all the protecting from causal determinism, materialistic causal determinism that seems to result in self defeat. But so, on a hylomorphic view, you, I don't know the the mind is still material, isn't it? Um, <laughs> yeah, you're going to have to ask uh, someone who's yeah, versed no in this. I think the right answer is, in a sense, no, because there's a certain part of cognition that is immaterial, the active intellect in Aristotle. And I know this takes different forms in Thomas' thought. And I, yeah, I'm not quite settled on what the right view is. But okay. yet the the form is, I don't know, uh, informing the, the material stuff. And so there's a sense in which, yeah, the cognition is material physical as well okay all right yeah i gotta think on that one more um as we close out here man i want to hear your beef with the with the with the thing like is it a consistent story someone i'm gonna ask you for a popsicle right now no one's gonna ask me for a popsicle um (laughs) sean carroll is just here and telling me not to dump on the writers that's great (laughs) no i don't yeah i guess i've already kind of voiced all of my worries so it's like if, if you're going to tell a time travel story, pick your, pick your model, right? Mm-hmm. That's the first step. Is it going to be a single timeline or is it going to be, you know, multiple timelines? But then if you try to like pretend like it's one, but then grab resources from the other, that's what really bugs me. Cause yeah. there are really fun hyper time stories like the end of eternity, like um, X-Men days of future past. Yeah. Those are very fun stories, but they don't pretend like there's just one timeline that's being sort of, I don't know, tinkered with, pruned, that sort of thing. They're recognizing, oh, the fact that things are changing means this is a different timeline. Which, okay, like that is consistent, but it always leaves me feeling like, well, you're never, it it makes me feel hollow because you can't save your own timeline then. Right. Yeah, that's the cost. Okay. So you you can make someone else's world really good, but you can't save your own. Right. Maybe it depends on the ontology of hypertime because mm-hmm. if um we're like presentists about hypertime then those past timelines no longer exist right and if that's the case then maybe you really have improved things but yeah it is <laughs> it yeah. is a different timeline so it's yeah the, all the people that want to like go back and kill hitler um, to do a lot of good for this timeline right Sorry, th- those if, if those things happened in this timeline, then to make them not happen would re- result in or require another timeline to exist. Well, so, yeah. Even that, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, even that, if someone came and killed Hitler, they would have already killed Hitler. Right. So we wouldn't be learning about Hitler in the textbooks and stuff. Right, on the single timeline version of that story. Well, even if someone came in from a different timeline, like, say, Universe B, we're Universe A, and they were like, well, I can't, I can't, we're B. We're A and they're B. If someone from B is like, well, I can't save B's timeline, but I can save A's. Yeah. They can't save ours either, right? Right. 
Otherwise, they already would have, and we would have already right. lived in a... So maybe our timeline has already been saved from lots of things that sure. might have happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw people joking back in 2020 about the... Was it the murder hornets that we heard about and that never ended up being a thing? That maybe yeah. time travelers came and... Oh, I didn't see that. Out. <laughs> That's good. Ha- have you ever seen the time travel like pictures where people are like, is this a time traveler? And it's someone like taking a selfie in 1921 or something? Oh, no, I haven't. Dude, you got to look those up. Maybe okay. I'll, I'll find some and send you. They're super okay. good. Nice. So I, I, I'm i sure a lot of them are Photoshop, but every now and then someone will do something weird and it looks like a motion that we're doing. Right. It looks right. fantastic. So That's good. That's really great. Um, yeah, dude, we got to talk uh, end of eternity once I finish this. We'll, we'll, we'll do some more on that. Um, overall, like, can give give a score, like one to 10 on, on Loki. It's so fun. And, uh, you know, it's setting up a lot of where Marvel's going uh, in yeah. this next series. So uh, I got to give it points for that. Um, yeah. I just wish that it had been consistent throughout and that yeah. the, you know, yeah, maybe that Sean Carroll had done better or something. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe, I, I don't know. I'm pretty generous. So I'd give it a seven or an eight. Okay. Just for how fun it was. Yeah. I, the, a lot, I watched the last episode like four times, maybe um, once in preparation for this. So I didn't have to feel bad, but um, I really liked it. I really liked uh he who remains at first I was like, Oh, they're trying, he's trying too hard. But then I started really after a couple of times, I'm like, dude, this guy's good, man. I really, I'm really excited to see him play, hopefully play like super evil, kind of wacky, probably going to be a good guy and team up with the Avengers to fight himself. Right. And I guess they, they split a couple characters. He who remains is a different character, but they mixed him in together with this. And that was really fun. Really interesting. So, yeah. I guess when I, I've only watched each episode once, but when I watched the finale, I thought this guy kind of seems like he's not taking it seriously enough if what he's saying is true. So, but maybe that is just hinting at, oh, we're going to see he could be a lot worse, as he says, like, right. wait till you meet my variants. Yeah, yeah. So that's and kind of interesting. Well, and he'd been, I guess he'd been around forever and he's just kind of like, I don't care. I'm just kind of, yeah. he's kind of a whack job now, um, which, yeah, that'll be interesting, man. Well, dude, this has been fun, man. I, I can't wait for the next thing to come out so we can talk some more. That's yeah, pretty, sounds pretty awesome. <laughs> um, still want to have you on to talk about uh, my master's thesis um, and and get some get more clear on uh, reasons responsiveness. So, looking forward to that. When you get some time, when I get some time, nice. that'll be really fun. So, listeners, mm-hmm. stay tuned for that. Um, dude, thanks for all your time, man, and thanks for. Yeah. For not bailing on me because some serviceman is at the door. <laughs> yeah, thanks for having us. And I'm sure Matt would say the same. Yeah. This is a lot of fun. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Well, this is uh, going to have to do it, folks. But uh, stay tuned for the next show or whatever um, that comes out on Disney+. Plus. You can look forward <laughs> to us a couple days after, hopefully. Um, but this is going to have to do it for now. This has been Parker's Pensies. And as always, all glory to God. <laughs>